0: Hello, and welcome to My Big Story, where my guests share some unique aspect of their life. And I'm your host, Mike Malone, and my guest is John Brian, who recently ran for mayor in Woundsocket, Rhode Island. Hello, John. Hi,
1: Mike. How are you? You said that properly, so congratulations on that.
0: I, I practiced it. I make sure, made sure I had it right. And I'm glad to hear that it, it seemed. To I, you, be d-
1: you did a good job.
0: Yeah. So tell me about Woonsocket.
1: Uh, so Woonsocket is, it was, I, w- I should say, a French Canadian based town. It, it's, it was a town that was made up of French Canadian immigrants from Quebec. Uh, came here during the Industrial Revolution to work in the textile mills. Mm-hmm. And there were a ton of textile mills here in the city with a lot of, uh, mill housing and, and just, uh, a lot of French Canadians that immigrated here to work in those mills. And so it was a French community and, you know, you were more likely to hear at one time, you were more likely to hear French in this city than you were to hear English. And so, yeah. um, the mills have, have, have closed and, and gone away. And so the population has shifted dramatically during that time. Uh, But it is still a uh, considered a, you know, a French Canadian based community because of the historical aspect. One thing um, you might not know about Winsocket is that there's a movie. I don't know when it's coming out, but Ben Affleck bought the rights to a, uh, a book called Ghost Army and Ghost Army is about the United States uh, military, they contracted for uh, a large number of inflatable tanks. Uh, and so uh, they were built, they were constructed right here in Winsocket, Rhode Island, at the Alice Mills. It was a rubber factory. And yeah. uh, what they did was they set up all these uh, inflatable tanks up on a line to trick the Germans into thinking that it was a uh, a tank battalion. And so, um, yeah, it's going to be a movie based on that. But those, Tanks, those inflatable tanks of the Ghost Army were constructed right here in Winsaka, Rhode Island.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, So, uh, were all the mills kind of in one part of town? Are they these just giant hulking buildings, or what are they like? Uh,
1: There, they were throughout the city, uh, and there were different mill areas. And and we're talking about giant uh, brick buildings that were uh, that housed whether it was rubber shops, machine shops, textile mills. Uh, there were, you know, my family members worked in these mills. Uh, my, my, uh, my, my great aunt and my, my, both of my great aunts worked in what was known as the French Worcester factory and, uh, they worked there. And so, but there was a number of, like I said, the Alice mill, the French Worcester and a number of other, uh, factories around the city producing any number of things for, um, for sale throughout the, the country and the world at the time. It's really, it's really pretty fascinating. My family, um, a couple of generations ago were French Canadian bricklayers and they actually built Mount St. Charles Academy, uh, which, okay. uh, uh, you, if you're not familiar with Mount St. Charles Academy there, it's a hockey, it's a high school hockey Mecca, uh, right here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and, uh, they also built some of the uh, Catholic churches around really, really big Catholic churches around the city. And my family has uh, some stained glass windows in those buildings because of, um, the guys in the, my, my great grandfather and my great uncles who built those buildings. It's oh, kind of oh. a lot of, yeah, a lot of history.
0: When did your family turn up in moonsocket Uh,
1: it, as far back as I I, 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 dabbled with ancestry a long time ago. Um, and then I just kind of got bored with it, but, uh, as far back as the late 1800s. So yeah. right around, yeah. So right around. Uh, 1898 to 1902, there was started to be a, a large immigration of, uh, of French Canadians into the city. And that's when my, uh, my family came.
0: Okay. So with the, uh, again, with the, the giant mills, have they been converted into loft apartments or they abandoned, but what do they look like? Uh, at?
1: yeah, some, some have been converted into loft style apartments. Others have unfortunately burned down. Uh, there was, uh, there, uh, there was a, a fire. This was years ago, uh, and I'm trying to think. It was before my firstborn was w- arrived. So that was at least 17 years ago. And there was in the center of the city, there was w- at the French Worcester, uh, there was this giant milk complex that spanned a few city blocks, believe it or not. And uh, the whole thing went up in flames, and you could see the smoke around the state. It was really an incredible thing. So, that's, um, so that, that went away. Uh, The Alice Mills, where the Ghost Army was built, that burned down um, under suspicious circumstances, by the way. Uh, And others have just been others have been knocked down or converted. So it's a it's a different time. It's a different time.
0: So in in terms of you thinking about uh, being the mayor, do you have a political background?
1: I do. I do. So um, I uh, I grew up my dad. It's funny. My, my dad passed last July and I was going through some things of his and, uh, you know, as you always do after these things happen. And I actually found, it's hard to believe, you know, I'm 50 years old now. And I found his first pamphlet when he ran for a state Senate here in Woonsocket, he was 35 years old. And so, uh, and so my dad was involved in politics. He, he didn't win that race, but he was elected to the uh, house of Representatives in the next election cycle. And he served there for 13 years. And so growing up as as a kid, I used to go to the Rhode Island House of Representatives uh, in Providence. And I was always fascinated by it. And I became, mm. a I was a, a page, a house page in high school. And I became, I was the junior and senior class president. And it was just kind of like, it, it just seemed like it was second nature. You know, and, and I think it's like anything else in this world, Mike, you know, so many times, you see it your dad's a football player you become a football player your dad's a plumber you become a plumber you know my dad was a, a politician and and I became you know involved in politics I don't like to say I was a politician but uh, I became involved in, in politics I, I, I always say that I love civics and I love government uh, but I hate the politics of it but it's a natural byproduct of course and so um, I was always uh, you know around and I was always involved and so and so I, I, I went to law school in in Manhattan in uh, between 94 and 97.
0: Mm.
1: I, I moved back to Woonsocket in 2000 and uh, around 2002 the mayor then mayor had reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to be on the planning board. And so I went from being a member of the planning board to uh, the president of the, the chairman of the planning board, and then I decided to I'd run for state representative, and I did that. And so, um, I followed in my dad's footsteps, and I represented the city in Providence uh, for six years three, ter- three two year terms, uh, from 2006 to 2012. Okay, uh, and so I took some time off, and then I ran for city council in 2016 i was vice president of the city council for four years and then i decided in, in 2020 what great timing to run for mayor d- during a, a, a global pandemic that i decided to run for mayor yeah um, <laughs> i announced on march 12th 2020 and on march 13th 2020 the world shut down oh, so i was man. really ha- yeah i was really happy about that timing by the way
0: yeah i would think i running for an office such as that, it's a lot of knocking on doors probably.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so that was, and that was the challenge. Right. And so it's kind of interesting. um, How do you reach the voters and so many candidates and so many races around the state uh, were saying, well, you can't knock on doors and because of COVID and you can't. And and I did. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to knock on everybody's door. And if you want to answer Answer, And if you don't, you don't. So I got everything. I got everything from people looking at me through peepholes to people coming outside and saying, I don't care, John, let me give you a handshake. Let me give you a hug. I know you. I mean, it was, it it ran the spectrum, but I I would say last summer amongst the pandemic, I walked for like seven days. No. Yeah. Seven days a week for four months. And so I probably hit around 2,500 doors. I probably talked to at least 4,000 people doing that. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was grueling and it's hard. And, and, but I think that's, you know, that's how you do it. I think that's traditionally Mike, that's how you win, but that wasn't, that wasn't in the cards and that's fine.
0: Okay. So is there one door you knocked on that that the interaction sticks out in your mind today a little more than the others?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, my dad had passed and my dad had, my dad was a figurehead in the city. My family has been a, around in, in this city for a long time. Everyone knew my grandfather. My grandfather, uh, was, a, a man of stature in the city and he was in construction and insurance and, uh, but he was stricken with polio when he was, when he was young. So my grandfather drove this giant Oldsmobile 88 and he had braces on his legs and he walked with crutches. So everybody knew my grandfather. And then everybody knew who my dad and my, my dad was known for helping people. And so I'd knock on doors and people were so supportive of me, especially after he passed and so sorry that uh, about the loss, but then they would just tell me stories that I, I didn't even know about my dad. And, and that, I think, um, that went beyond the campaign. That was kind of like, that was cathartic for me because I needed to hear those stories. I needed to know that his memory is still, alive with the people in this city. And so they were, they loved my dad. They loved me and they let me know it. And that really lift, you know, that really lifted me up throughout the time of, uh, cause he passed on July 31st and I had just started walking door to door at the beginning of July. Yeah. And so it, you know, he passed at the end of July and I took a week off and I got right back on the trail and I walked all of August, all of September, all of October. Um, so hearing those stories about my dad and, you know, the support that I got as a result, uh, was really, really, it was great. It really, it was an incredible thing. It was uplifting.
0: Yeah. So y- your dad had never run for mayor of Woonsocket, had he?
1: He had, as a matter of fact, Okay. He
0: ran. Yeah. My dad ran, um, in
1: 1980, he ran for mayor and there was like us all, all this political intrigue happened in 1980 because There was a a broker deal and the mayor at the time was stepping down and he guaranteed uh, my father at the time that he wasn't going to run. And the only way my father was going to run for mayor in 1980 was if the current mayor uh, didn't run. And then there was like this political double cross where the mayor decided like all of a sudden I am going to run. So my dad. Ran for mayor in, in 1980, and he lost a narrow election. All right, he Correct. lost narrowly. My dad, in in 2018, he decided to run for mayor because the current mayor was running unopposed, and my dad had a lot of problems with the way the city was going. So my dad was so pissed that no one decided to run. He put his name in, and he ran. And I tell you, Mike, he had no campaign. He had no money. He made no effort and he still got <laughs> like I, I'm serious and he still got 43% of the vote. So, oh my
0: gosh, wow. uh, yeah.
1: So, um, so I decided I, I gave it a go in 2020 and I, I, I had money and I had a campaign and I had an effort and, uh, but, what I had, what he didn't have, was the COVID epidemic, and I think that you know that was it was a tough year to run an election.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And what did you figure you could bring to Woonsocket that your your adversary could not?
1: Um, I just think a different perspective. I think you know I uh, have the perspective of attending University of Rhode Island, which is a very rural setting, and living in that setting, unlike my city, which is is um, it's, it's, it's a urban, it's a, it's a urban, uh, very urban setting. A very, you know, and so it's a much different setting than say, you know, living down at URI and that kind of thing seeing what life is like there and yeah. what worked there. And then, and then moving to the metropolis of New York city and living there for you know six years and seeing what that's like. So I figured as running for mayor, I could bring a perspective that hasn't been brought, the seat before seeing what things were, you know, how things work in giant cities and in small towns. Also, for me, it was about rebranding the city in, in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, the city of Woonsocket has, uh, and I, and I, and I can say it because I said it during a campaign, it has a poor reputation and it really is regarded as, as kind of like you know, people would say, Oh, Winsocket, why would you go there? You know, if, if you say to someone, Uh, I live in Woonsocket, Uh, Woonsocket, you know, like it's, but you know, we live, you know, there's, there are great sections of the city. Uh, There are sections of the city that were built by the mill owners that uh, of the mills that we talked about earlier. Yeah. So my goal was to try to rebrand the city and to bring to the rest of the state, the notion that, you know, the city is open for business and we are a good place to come and to visit, to work and to live. And so I had a number of ideas and And ways to do that. And, you know, it, it, I think that it was, uh, I think, I think there were fresh ideas, but you know, sometimes, sometimes these things, you know, then it takes a while for them to catch on and that's okay. Uh, you know, and, and so, uh, you learn, you live and learn. And, and so I I think that, um, bringing a fresh perspective was so important for me.
0: Yeah. So heading into election day, you're probably a, a clear underdog in the race, I would think, huh?
1: whenever you're a challenger to an incumbent, you're always,
0: you know, I knew, I knew
1: I was working from behind every single day and, yeah. and it, it you know, it's tough to unseat an incumbent. It's tough to convince people to go in a new direction because, um, and, and I think it's fair to say about this everywhere, you know, people, people don't, I don't, I've always been a person that gets involved in the day-to-day minutia of how things work, right? Like how things work in my city and in my state and in the country. But most people don't care. And I don't say that in a in a accusatory way. I think most people just don't care. They, they, they know what they know, they seek out a little bit of information and then they move on, and that's their lives, so, yeah. right? Like the whatever, you know, the you know, the the day-to-day life. And so, and that's fine. And I think it's hard to unseat seat in a comment because you're trying to convince these people about what's really going on and they don't yeah. really see what's really going on. It's, you know, I, I got a lot of, you know, you asked me earlier, uh, some of the, the best door knocks that I had and some of the worst door knocks I had. Well, yeah, of course they were rude ones. Like, no, get out of here. Like, you know, I'm with, I'm with the mayor. I know who you are. Shut the door. Was, you get those, but I never cared about those. Yeah. It was, the, it was the people, who you knock on their door and they say no i'm i'm not i'm going to stick with the mayor because you know my taxes are low and my street got paved and it's just and and just and, and it's just like how do you convince someone that they deserve more than the bare minimum that they're getting from a city and and it was portrayed in this campaign as oh you people are so lucky you're getting paved streets and i and i just kept saying that's a basic municipal function. And when yeah. people get, you know, when people are under the idea that a basic municipal function is like a great thing, that's a hard thing to combat. And yeah. so, um, that made me the underdog because I had a lot of convincing to do and ultimately I wasn't able to do it.
0: Right. Right. So election day, where are you? Are you at home? Is there like a, an election headquarters, campaign headquarters? Where are you? Yeah. Based? So,
1: so we have a campaign. I had a campaign headquarters uh, the, the whole time, and, and we made a big splash. We opened the headquarters. We did it right on Main Street, right down the street from City Hall. I mean, it was great. I mean, it was like I did so many things different this campaign um, that the city hasn't seen before, really to, to bring a lot of attention to it because I was the underdog. So we have campaign headquarters, and then we had workers at all. At all. There, are, there were 12 polling places. So we had workers at the 12 polling places, and we have, you know, a computer system at the headquarters to track the voters. And um, because when you go to door door to door, you meet people. So if I met you and you said, John, I'm with you 100 percent, I'd track you. I'd say, okay, Mike's with me 100 percent. So on election day, I have a computer program. If you go to vote, I take you off that list of my 100 percent people. So every time those, those keep getting checked, that list gets smaller and smaller. We turned out, we turned out 90% of my guaranteed vote. I mean, that's, it's unheard of that I did that. And still you do that. It's hard to lose. And so, um, so it, you know, so I was busy tracking votes all day with my team and going from poll to poll and standing outside the polls, you know, and saying, Oh, hey, uh, hi, uh, all that stuff, but going all around the city. Um, but it's nerve wracking. And I yeah. have always hated Election Day. It's my worst. Y- you wake up anxious and you're anxious until you get the results. I mean, it's a long stretch of day and you just feel just like this weight on you all day long. Yeah. And so I've been, you know. I've been to the top of the mountain and I've, and I've fallen down the other side at times too. And so I know what that, that feels like election day is a harrowing. And I think about it. I think about these people that run these U S Senate campaigns or they run presidential campaigns. I don't know how they do it. Like, I don't know how, like you talk about all the marbles, you know what I mean? And so like, and it's all riding on this one day and it's just, um, and that's, you know, and, and if just on a quick aside, I think that's one of my, biggest gripes about what happened with COVID and what happened with the last electoral cycle, because I'm a traditionalist. I think election day should be one day, one day of voting. And Mm -hmm. so if you, and you get to the polls, everybody knows it's election day and you vote and absentee ballots are, if you can't get there for a good reason, but that's not what happened in the last election. Absentee ballots were for everybody. So, um, you know, you'd knock on someone's door and they, you know, it was such a different dynamic. You'd knock at someone's door and they would say, well, I already voted. And it's just like, I've never had that before. Yeah. I've never had, it, it's always been, everyone's voting on election day. So right. um, election day is a scary day. It really is. You know, running for office is hard and it's, I give credit to everybody that does it, whether, you know, successful or unsuccessful, you put yourself out there. It takes time. It takes money. It takes energy. It takes Physic- it takes away from you physically. It takes away from you mentally. Um, I wish I kept the weight off that I lost during that <laughs> election. <laughs> I did not. That's, no, that's, that's one of my biggest regrets, not yeah. keeping that weight off.
0: Oh man. So, so when the, the ultimate verdict comes down, tell me about the disappointment. Tell me about the sadness. I, you mentioned kind of the anxiety, but it, what's it like when you realize you're not going to win this one? Um. You know, it,
1: it's funny. And it, I think it, it, I think it goes to my growth as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost an election back in 2012 and I blame myself for the loss of that election. I think hubris is a, is a funny thing and it really, it gets to you and it, and it, 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 it twists you around. So when I lost that election in 2012, that to me, that like was a Ego hit, you know, like it it, it it was like I was like, how could this have happened to me? Right. Yeah. Um, and then I had to take a few years to really like become a better person and, and get away from the person that I was then. This time my loss was, I wasn't, I was disappointed for me because I knew what I could bring to the city. Yeah, but I was I was sad. And I was sad, but not for me. I was sad for all the people that really had put their hopes on me and really needed me to win because there's a lot of politics in my city in which the mayor's office is used in a very um offensive and i don't mean uh insulting but offensive way in which it's the, the office is used to punish the people that are not supporters of the person in the mayor's office and there were so many so many of those stories and these people were counting on me to change that so that they had a friend in office because they knew whether you voted for me or not I was going to treat you the same you're 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 a citizen and a taxpayer of socket. you deserve the same treatment I felt bad the sadness was about feeling like I let everybody else down yeah you know like I I they went to bed that night really upset. And I talked to one lady um, and, and she said, John, when I, 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 got the news, she's like, I, I honestly, I cried all night. I cried all night. And, oh. and so, um, and I felt bad about that because I did everything I could, but then you, you say to yourself, could I have done more? Could, you know, what could I have done differently? Yeah. But, but about this campaign, Mike, I can honestly say, um, if you can finish up a a political campaign and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I put everything on the table, I left nothing, I left nothing to chance and I ran the best possible campaign I could have. I mean, you know, you can, you can walk around the next day with your head held high, you know, there was, there was sadness, there was disappointment. I went to New Hampshire for a couple of weeks uh, to kind of, I get out of the city and just lick my wounds, but yeah. you know, time goes on and it's all good now. It's like, it's uh, it's given me a little break and I'm sure I'll jump back in. It's in my blood. I don't, I mean, it, if I'm not involved, I don't know what to
0: do. Right. Right. <laughs> so in terms of political role models, you mentioned your father sounds like he would be the, the primary one in your life. Huh?
1: Yeah. I would say, you know um, my dad, when my dad was an incredible uh, orator, and I would listen. I remember when I would be in high school and listen to. He didn't speak a lot on the House floor. He was a committee chairman. He held a lot of weight. Um, he actually, he was the one that that tied the binds between the House and the Senate. The okay. Senate really liked my dad, and so he was the one to to negotiate the the differences between the House and the Senate. And so when my, I, when my dad stood up on the house floor and gave a speech, it was everyone stopped. And it, it, he was an incredibly intelligent man and very passionate. And so I used to always call him, which he, he did not appreciate, but I used to call him, uh, cause he didn't think he lived up to it. The Mario Cuomo of Rhode Island, because I remember listening to Mario Cuomo and thinking, God, my dad was better than you but boy you're good you know i i I love listening to mario cuomo i thought he was incredible um he was engaging he was engaging uh like governor cuomo not the current one the the father mario and um he really and i think really any politician like when i was in the 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 house of representatives when i was on the city council it doesn't matter everybody knows this about me I, i always vote with what I think is right. And I don't care about party labels. I don't care about, you know, um, towing the party line or kissing rings. And I got in trouble more times with house leadership for voting my conscience and I simply didn't care. And so I think that I, I, I respect anyone who gets into politics to do the right thing and can stay in that lane, and that is a difficult lane to be in because sure. it sometimes it helps you and sometimes it hurts you, you know.
0: And your day job, you're a lawyer. Yep.
1: Yeah, I uh, I have a I'm a sole practitioner. I have a uh, I have a, a defense firm. I, I do criminal defense. And uh, I love it. You know, it's it's I used to uh, be the prosecutor for the city of winsocket So I, I represented the city of winsocket in the district court. And I did that uh, for seven years as the city prosecutor. I did that for winsocket in the city of Central Falls. And then and those are inherently political jobs. So when hmm. administrations change, you know, they bring in their own people um, and that's fine. You know that those jobs are always finite. And so. But having done prosecution for so many years and then having to the, to make a transition, I said, well wait a minute I, I prosecuted it for so long. I know what defense counsel has to do. I'm doing that now, you know yeah. and, and I and and, and I could have gone into you know I've, I've worked in law firms, I've worked on transactional stuff, I've worked on civil stuff, but I always thought that was boring. I think, being in the courtroom is a lot like politics. It's about relationships. It's about persuasion. It's about, so, um, so I like it. It's, it's the vibe and the energy that I, I enjoy. So, sure. uh, yeah, criminal defense. It's a, it's an interesting field. You deal with a lot of, a lot of colorful individuals.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> so even though that the run for mayor ended, uh, not as you had hoped, do you look back on the whole experience as a positive?
1: Yes. Absolutely. And I, 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 like I said earlier, I wouldn't change a thing. And the reason why I made a pledge early on and, and I, I ran a different kind of campaign. I, I had said, I wasn't running against the incumbent. I was running for mayor. Yeah. And, and I had, um, I had pledged that I would run a positive campaign to try to convince the voters why I was a better alternative and there was a lot of dirty politics that was thrown at me and there was a lot of there was stuff in the mail that was incredible personal stuff yeah. i mean it was just it was like the kind of stuff that you would never want uh you know 11 12 15,000 people to get in their mailbox right it was yeah. just like bad stuff you know it was but i didn't lower myself to that i rose above it i ignored it and even though i didn't win an election um, I gained respect in the city in which I live because everybody says to me all the time, boy, I'm proud of you for how you handled yourself, John. Like you did a great job. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't have done it, but you did an awesome job. And so, um, and so I think, you know, I take that away from, I lost an election, but I gained respect. And I think respect is ultimately always more important than, you know, uh, a position that, you know, uh, in the end, Mike, all politicians get thrown on the trash heap of history, right? Nobody really remembers like who was there. Right. Maybe, it's, maybe you get a picture, maybe you get a mention, but that's not the important stuff. The important stuff is, you know, did people respect you? And I, I gained respect and I think that that's what counts.
0: Sure. Sure. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your big story with us.
1: Well, I, I got to say, thank you for having me. I, I know it's uh some stories like that, that don't end the way you want them do have a happy ending. And I think this one uh, definitely does. So thanks for the time. And I'll come back. If you ever want me to come back and tell more stories.
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Mike Malone saying stay well until next time.